Philippians 3, verse 1 to 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glorify in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Good evening. It's a, a joy to be with you again, particularly looking at this great passage in Philippians 3. Now, since we're looking at what God has to say, let's pray. Lord, thank you that you've given us your word. Please help us to understand it correctly and to apply it to our lives, both as individuals and as a church. For Christ's sake. Amen. Well, this great passage, it's very important for us because it describes the concern of Paul, rather like a parent is concerned for his family. Just look at how it starts. Rejoice! Rejoice in the Lord! This phrase comes 38 times in the Bible. It comes very often in the book of Philippians. Look at the next chapter, 4 verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. The idea of joy and rejoicing keeps repairing uh, recurring in Philippians. It's a very good little study just to go through and underline them. Why is this joy there? Because they knew they'd been chosen by God. They'd been selected to represent him. Look at 1 verse 6. God chose us. He began the work. It's God by the power of his spirit that's going to complete it. But then comes some very strong statements by the Apostle. Watch out, he says. Verse 2. Those dogs. Now that's not a particularly politically correct way of speaking. To talk of anyone as being a dog. A cur. Now, the, the Greek word... Uh, there is, is very clear. 
Look on to verse 8. The Greek's been sanitized in the NIV. Uh, we've, we've got garbage. The actual word is dung. That is hardly a way to talk about people. But it's very important because all these words have been permitted, have been sanctioned by God's explicit design. So why was Paul so concerned? Why is God so concerned? We're given an insight here into their thinking. And we must understand very clearly what the gospel is. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me draw an analogy. Uh, a person makes regular visits to their bank to pay in checks. And they go there and they put the check and fix it to the paying in slip and push it in the, in the deposit box. The uh, keeps going there, takes more and more checks, keeps an account of everything he's put in. But then at the end of the month, he receives a bank statement. And he's horrified because the money's not there. What he'd paid in to be credited to his account had in fact been debited. And he was, he was now out of money. It's the reverse of what he hoped for. He was now in deep debt. Now, think in terms of a heavenly bank balance. What if the things that we think of as being profitable are actually a loss. You know, coming regularly to church, praying, reading our Bibles, evangelistic efforts, being friendly to non-Christians. How awful it would be if when standing there in front of God to realise that all that we'd thought of as valuable as a gain, is actually a loss. Now, this is the idea behind what Paul's saying. As we've seen, he's begun with this exhortation, rejoice in the Lord. And we have to remember that the basis of our rejoicing is not our feelings, not our successes. It is we're rejoicing in the Lord Jesus because we've been chosen to believe in him and follow him. Now, the Greek word translated here as further is, is actually finally. Uh, and yet, as many people have noticed, there are 44 further verses. Now, it could be that Paul was writing as, as a preacher. And we all know that when a preacher says, finally, it doesn't mean very much. But as a good preacher, Paul keeps repeating the theme so that people can understand. Now, repetition, not novelty, is needed. Uh, do you remember that old song some of us sang, tell me the old, old story of Jesus and his love. So good preaching is 
not full of novelties, of new doctrines, new understandings, but of repetition, of telling people the old ideas. Okay, use different ways, different illustrations, says we're not boring, but it's the same concept that God has entered this world to save a people for himself and empower us to live for him. Do you remember the Athenians in Acts 17? They, they loved meeting in the Areopagus. They had an obsession with novelty. They sat around, discussed all new ideas. Now, congregations can so quickly become like this, always wanting something new, something different. Now, the novelty that we all enjoy is seeing the power of God at work in different ways in different people. Look, look at 3 verse 1. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. The Christian basics must keep coming back. We must get them right. When I was a child, my parents took me to the circus and I was mesmerised by the trapeze artists. There they were, soaring away, taking great risks, high in the air. It was wonderful. But there was a net underneath. And at the end of the act, they simply let go of the trapeze and fell safely into the net. Now, we as Christians, it's as if we are on the trapeze. Everyone can see us. Uh, how we behave. You know, they say, oh, look, look how those Christians live, how they love each other. Look how their husbands care for their wives and never badmouth them. Aren't they most, the most reliable workers? Aren't they the most dependable people? They keep their word. Aren't they good neighbours? Aren't they the best students? Yes, they, they can see what we do. But what happens when we slip? Well, or when the show's over. Well, the safety net is there. The net is the Lord Jesus. He gives us our security, but more than that, it's because he's there that we're able to take risks and to do things. Because everything is secure. We can be ambitious. Of course, we can't just stay there sitting on the uh, on the net. You know, we are we are meant to be trapeze artists. We've been trained for a job. We've got to get up there. But the net's always there behind everything that we do. When we become Christians, everything is is new. But then we, we need the Holy Spirit of God to keep this news fresh in our lives, to help us to go deeper, to understand what God has done, and particularly to be thrilled as we see the Spirit of God at work through us. Look at verse 2. Now comes this awful warning. It's the emphasis here. Watch out for. 
You see, there are dangerous people around. There were dangerous people at the church at Philippi who were infiltrating. They were false teachers. Significantly, have you noticed how many false teachers are not very joyful? They've got their quirky doctrines. They come knocking on your door with a, an earnestness, a seriousness, great ardour, but so little rejoicing. The gospel is what Christ has done. Now, Paul describes these people as curs, wild dogs, dangerous dogs. They're not dogs like our, our retriever, Carly. These curs were scavengers roaming around, attacking the garbage cans, spreading disease. And don't get bitten by one. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. They come along and say, Oh, so, so pleased you become a Christian. Uh, but do you know that's only the beginning? Now you've got to understand the Old Testament. That's what the Philippian Christians were told. Look, God instituted these uh, rituals. They're gods. Don't you understand the importance of circumcision? God ordered it. It all seems so reasonable, but utterly destructive. When I became a Christian at, at college, I remember one person in our Christian group come and saying, oh, it's wonderful. Wonderful, Bernard, that you've turned to Christ. But do you realise that that's just the beginning? Now you need to go a second step and be baptised in the Holy Spirit and you need to speak in tongues if you're really going to be effective for God. When I was a surgical registrar at Barts, uh, uh, a man got involved, an outside man, a man called George Tarleton, and he persuaded them that there was nothing in the Bible called Christian unions and they, they needed to form uh, in, into their own church. And it became a very inward-looking church, very little joy. I don't think anyone became a Christian during those uh, six or seven years. Uh, it was a disaster. Uh, George Tarleton, I understand, has now completely given up being a Christian completely turned from Christ. These dogs, these curs, I know it's a hard word, but these people are lethal. They undermine the church. You know, dogs was a derogatory word used by Jews of Gentiles. But Paul says that these false teachers claiming to be Christians are really curs. They're concerned about externals, about keeping rules, doing things the right way. But they themselves are evil. They insist that observing rules and rituals is a means of receiving grace. We can earn God's special love by the way we behave. No, that is not true. Let's look on at the role of rules. Rules can never put us right with God. 
Remember that classic verse, uh, Romans 3.20, you know, the 3.20s are very important. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Do we all understand this? Rules are important, but we can never keep them. Not to God's satisfaction. They just make us aware of how much we need Christ, how much we need that safety net. This is not a, a marginal debate. You see, no one gets right with God by keeping church rules. We cannot make ourselves righteous. I was leading a, a conference in Poland and one afternoon I went with uh, one of the young doctors around the small town and she took me into the local Catholic church. And as she went in, she uh, dipped her hand in the holy water and crossed herself. And then she went up to the central aisle of the church and did a, a deep genuflection. And I asked her, why do you do that? Oh, that's how we please God. That's how we're saved. You see what she's saying? That it's the way I do things that pleases God. And she felt, as our discussions later, that the way she lived was a prerequisite for receiving God's grace. She thought that people who don't do these things are not full Christians. Can you see a similar picture to Philippi? Legalism. It's an enemy of the gospel. See, many people think that the message of the church today is uh, do your best, try a bit harder, be a bit more socially concerned. Utterly wrong. The message of the church is that our good is never good enough. We have a safety net. That's our message. Jesus Christ. Without him. Well, when we drop off the trapeze at the end of our life, we're in dire trouble. We need the Lord Jesus. He's, he's our message. He's our salvation. We are utterly dependent on him. Oh, it's such a dangerous doctrine, this. It's, it's like septicemia. I remember uh, treating a patient who got really severe septicemia on life support machine. Uh, it was devastating. Both her hands and legs went gangrene, gangrenous and we had to take them off. She survived. But what damage was done? And the same with the church. Once these doctrines get in, that my works can somehow get grace coming my way, it's a lethal doctrine. No, we are utterly dependent on Christ and we want to live to please him. Removing Christ from the centre of everything 
leads to a disintegration of churches and it will lead to us losing our, our place in God's kingdom. That's another subject. So it's right with Paul to say, watch out for those dogs. Well, this leads on to the question, well, what is a real Christian? Who are the real people of God, the circumcised? It's those who serve God by his spirit. It's a personal submission to Christ. And living daily to please him, that's circumcision of my heart. Do you remember the conversation Jesus had with the Samaritan woman? Jesus said, a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That's inwardly. It's a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It, Jesus went on. Uh, God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 4, 1 to 4, if you want to look it up, it's a same idea. Return to me, circumcise your hearts. Martin Luther, you remember, he was a very uh, deeply religious young man. He became a monk. Uh, bells, smells, rules, routines, rigmaroles, regulations. But then he realized that Christ was his righteousness. And in Christ, he had everything he needed. And this is similar to what Paul goes on to say. Paul was very religious as a young man. Look at verses 4 to 6. He had everything. He was doing the right things. But then comes verse 7. Do, do look at this. Whatever were gains to me, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage or dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I hope we can all say that. Christ is everything to me. I'm not trying to please God by the way I behave. I come regularly to church. I make it a discipline because I know that pleases Christ. I read my Bible every day and I study it. Because I want to present Christ better. I want to know him better. I make friends so that I can share Christ with them. Those people who aren't Christians. They need Christ. Well, just read through verses 7 to 10. He finishes this chunk with this great passage. Notice the emphasis on Christ. In my Bible, I've underlined Christ, Christ, Christ. It's Christ that Paul wants to know better. He wants to become like Christ. I don't know if you enjoy uh, 
watching uh, sports on television. I love it. Uh, I was watching the, the Masters at Augusta recently. The great prize, that coveted green jacket. To have a place at the dinner uh, in Augusta Golf Club after the tournament, you have to wear a green jacket. Not any green jacket. It has to be one awarded to you. Now, there's only two ways you can get that green jacket. Either you win the Masters, which uh, for most of us is ridiculous, impossible, or you get invited to join. Membership is strictly by invitation. It's a, a similar picture. Uh, do you remember at the end of Revelation, at the marriage of the Lamb? Only people wearing that special robe can be admitted. How do you get one? Well, it's a gift. You can't inherit it. You can't earn it. It's a gift for those who are committed to Jesus Christ. So the church's message is all about Jesus. If we belong to him, he gives us the robe, the, the green jacket. You see why Paul's so concerned. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those religious people. Instead, let's be like verse 3. Look, look at verse 3. It is we, the people who love Jesus. We are the circumcision, God's people. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, in what I do. Is that us? Let's pray that it is and that we can encourage each other to keep Christ at the centre. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you very much for this reminder that we can rejoice in Christ. We know that our different doctrines going around the place. Lord, please help us just to be full of Christ and to want to please him and do everything that will further his cause because we're so grateful for all he's done for us. Lord, be with us by your spirit as we go out into the world to live for Jesus Christ. Amen.